0: Well, good morning, good morning. As you know, I always like to encourage you all to be reading Scripture as much as you can, wherever you can, to whoever you can. Read Psalm 37, verses 8 through 9, especially in light of today's message, Psalm 37, 8 through 9. I recommend just read that psalm every day. I try to. It is a good psalm. Also, encourage you. Hope you're praying with someone As every day if you can. Sometimes we forget. I forget. Pray that you do, though, whenever you can. And I pray that you, me, ask the Lord to give you an opportunity to share the Word of God. We have um, some great little tracks to hand out to people, mail to people, drop it off in someone's front door. Who knows? Just something uh, to get the Word out. And you know, read them. It's great to see how to express your faith. You can just read the track and, and God will maybe use it to the, for you to tell someone about Jesus and the grace that they can have. And then lastly, as I come behind the podium, uh, lastly, I just want to encourage you to just tell the Lord that you're grateful for Him. You know, with everything else going in the world, just say, Lord... You are good. And that is enough. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you today. Truly, you are a a good God. And sometimes that's hard to see, Lord, with the way things are in life. But we know by your grace, and when we look to the cross of Jesus Christ, what you did for us upon that cross, by sending your Son, that, that you that is the greatest expression of your love and your goodness, that you love sinners, and that you went out of your way to come down to us through your Son, that He came down to us upon this earth. For we would not go up to you, but you came to us. You came running after us to save us. Because you are a God of love. Help us, Lord, now as we come before your word to uh, repent of our sins. Lord, there is so much sin in our life that we don't even know it. We don't even see it. We're blind to it. But expose it through your word. And Lord, convict us so that we can throw down our sins and run to you. Run to the cross. And God, we also ask that you be with all the churches meeting across the world, all the Christians that are meeting in whatever manner capable that's, that, that they're able to do, Lord. Some outside, some in possible rivers. Who knows, Lord? Because your name will be magnified, and you will do it through your church, wherever, wherever your church is. And Lord, we pray we can do that here today. And in Jesus' name, amen. So as we um, approach our text today of Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 to 27, Paul has now been getting into the nitty gritty of what a life of freedom looks like in our life as Christians. You know, he's getting into the norms, uh, if you will, of what Christ has freed us to. Right. For he has freed us from the power of sin and and freed us to a life that is empowered by God's grace through faith now. See, through faith in Christ, we have been uh, placed on this uh, new course of life now. It's now a radical way of life. For, the radical, for a radical change, that change that happened within us and, and to us, is that we now want to follow the ways of God in our everyday life, even though we fail so to do it perfectly. You know, the, the radical, the revolutionary transformation that has has come about us is that we now have hearts that are affected by our sins and the sins around us. And we now find freedom in the ways of God. That's not how we were before. Christ has given us true freedom by faith in him now because through him we are now enabled to live a life of faith in all things. We are now enabled to repent of our sins. Everyday life now is one that glorifies God in our seemingly simplistic lives of going to work, eating our lunch, flossing our teeth, going shopping, being with our families, maybe not being with our families, going to Bible studies, coming to worship service on Sundays or whatever. All of that now is done through faith in Christ. So we have a heart now that wants to live to God's standards and ways, even if we fail in the process. There's this desire to live according to the ways of God and a desire to know him more and more. See, God has, hasn't left us here to flounder about on what the Christian life looks like. You know, he's given us his word. He has, given, he has laid out the sins that we're called to flee from and his commands that we're called to embrace. You know, and, the, and these commands and way of life is what we, we are called to live. And they're all revealed in his word. And they're there to show us what we have been freed to now for his ways are freedom in this life. And, and for his ways, when you think about it, are righteous, they're just, they're holy, they're perfect. His ways are completely unlike the world. So what's stated here then in Ephesians, which we've read, right? We went the, over the verse last week, the first one, and then we're going to go over more today. But what's, what's stated here in Ephesians is Ephesians, not something to be overlooked, but, but followed. These are truths. These are commands that need, to be, that need to be applied to our life, not just some of the time when we feel like it, but all of the time. And as we look at them and go deeper into them, these truthful commands of exhortation should, should end up doing a few things to us. It should convict us in our hearts to see how we fail to do these exhaustively, meaning in perfection, Right? We're not perfect in these. And then when we realize that it should drive us to keep placing our faith in Christ to rest upon his works, because he is the one that has done it all. It's his perfection on our behalf that we rest in. We rest in his gospel of grace. And then this then consequently will in turn make our hearts and wills even more to want to follow the laws of God, the The commands out of gratitude for what has been done for us through Jesus Christ. And guess what? We will end up following them by the grace of God in our life. And we don't do any of this, right, in our own, in our own power or in our own strength. It's all by the power of God through faith in Christ, by, His, by the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. We go to Jesus and, and we say, as Psalm 51.10 says, created me a clean heart, O God, renew a right spirit within me, because it's not in us to do that. When we think it's in us, that's when we run into the problems. For Christ has done it all for us. He has, uh, and he has accomplished it all, and, and, and what he has accomplished is being worked in us by faith. He has created us into a new man, a new creation, and he's working that day by day in us. Or put differently, Christ is working this radical transformation in us. And rather than just leaving us to figure out what this radical transformation is, Paul is laying it all out for us in chapter 4 in in Ephesians, in a very practical everyday life examples. And one other thing here that needs to be remembered before we look at the text. It has to be remembered that these are the sins here, because these are their sins, that people are dealing with in the church, right? The Ephesians are struggling with these things, but they're still called believers who are favored by God. Now, granted, that doesn't give us a license to commit these sins in our lives because they did it in the past. I mean, Paul's writing to them like, hey, stop, you don't need to do this anymore, But what it reveals to us then is that the Christian life is not free from sin. Christians sin just like other non-believers. The difference though, the difference which is radical from the world is that the Christian hates their sin more and more as it becomes exposed and they repent of it and have a sorrow for it and they run to Jesus. The world doesn't do that. So even if, even if we commit the sins over again and again, which they were and which we do, we always run to Jesus with a greater distaste for the sins and we want to follow his ways. So let's see what this uh, new man then that we have put on and we're called to be renewing, let, uh, renewed in, let's see what this new creation then is, is, is going to look like and, and it is called to look like and what sins we're to run from and, and what sins that God will expose to us that we have been forgiven already by faith in Christ, that we have been freed from. So our title today is Living with Anger. Anyone ever familiar with anger? (laughs) Anyways, Paul says in verse 26 to 27, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Now, this passage is very, at least I find a very interesting one. Because it is dealing with the subject of anger in our relationships to each other. You ever be angry at someone? Of course not. Paul is focusing on this interaction between people. Okay? Now, he's not saying that this only applies to the church alone. This is also called to apply to non-believers in our life. (laughs) Okay? But the focus, again, is on the church. And I love this, again, because it reveals just a couple of things about our God and his gospel of grace, just right from the top when you read the passage, without even going very deep into it. It shows that God, our God, knows us. He knows you. He knows your emotions that run through your soul in interacting with people. God is not ignorant of what you are dealing with in this life. He is not ignorant of the people around you that cause you to get frustrated and angered. He's not ignorant of what you have to face every day, whether that may be belittlement from your spouse, belittlement from a family member, belittlement from a boss that just tears at your heart and agitates you. He is not ignorant of the hardships that you come across that are completely out of your control, that you have to face, but it makes your blood boil because it seems like you're just hitting a wall that you can't get through no matter how hard you try because the situation is just not changing. And it's not a good situation. He knows the anger. He knows the anger that arises in your heart because that one person just won't listen and they keep doing the same thing over and over. And he knows all the wrong that you, that you see in the world that makes you angry because you know there's, so much, there's a better way and it's God's way, but people just don't want to listen. From this thousand foot view, it says God knows you. He understands you. He knows your life. He knows your frustrations and what brings out anger within you. And he knows then also how to deal with your anger. And that's going to bring us to our first point. There is a normal anger. Notice, Paul doesn't say, don't be angry. No, he says quite the opposite. He says, be angry. Now, that's a command. I guess there's no such thing as having anger issues. There you go. All good. You know, we're, I guess we're just called to be an angry people. Just let's just start. see, the, let's just start flipping chairs. Let's go. Let's do it. No, that, that's, that's obviously not what he's getting at here, especially when you look at the bigger context of Scripture and just even within the small context of itself of the verse. He says, be angry and do not sin. And what that means is that anger as an emotion in in and of itself, by itself, anger, it's not necessarily sinful, though many times we think it is. But from this context, that's not always the case. There are times when we are allowed to be angry. Some of you are like, yes. I mean, just to give a bigger picture here, right? Even Christ was angry at times, and yet he never sinned. You can look at Mark chapter three, verse five. It says, and he, Jesus, looked around with them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. It was sin he was mad at. And he, and he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched out his, ha- his hand, and he was restored. So in this context, when Paul says, be angry and do not sin, the... the he puts this the angry and sin kind of like together. And it says here, it basically means that when you look at the word sin, generally, generally this, that when we think of sin, it means missing the mark or failing to accomplish a purpose. And, and the missing the mark, really, or, or the failing is in regards to God's law and his ways. So there is a righteous anger that we can have. There are situations where we can become angry. There are things in our world today with all that's going on, especially in our own lives, that can cause us to be angry, and that's okay. Paul, unlike what a lot of religions and people and the media want to say about Christians, Paul is not forbidding Christians from having emotions in their life. We're not called to be stoics or emotionless people. I mean, when we see all the injustice in the world and the evil that's going on and all the cruelty, cruel, cruelty, cruelness being done. And when people sin against us, those aren't things to ignore and not care about, They're, nor are there things necessarily to celebrate. You're like, yay, more sin. <laughs> like, uh, that's weird. Seeing sin or having sin done to us should cause us to be angry in some sense. For when we became saved by faith, our hearts now have been changed towards sin. And we are not to have an apathetic attitude towards it. In fact, we're to grow more and more of disgust towards it of all types, sins in the world, the sins that we do, the sins that happen to us. So you might think then, well, does this mean sense? there's so much sin in the world and with people around us sinning all the time, are we called to be angry all the time? Because I know some of you are like, John, if you knew what I had to deal with, or if you know what I'm dealing with right now, I'm just going to be angry. That's it. on my deathbed when they say, well, wait, name one word that would describe me. Hmm, angry. (laughs) I hope that's not the case. Well... Being angry is not what Paul is. Being angry all the time is not what Paul is commanding here. What he's actually saying is when you do get angry, which we will and we should, we should. I mean, there's a lot of sin to get angry at. He says, let your anger not last long at all. Let it come and let it go. And this brings us to our second point keeping anger should not be normal. So there is a normal anger, but keeping it is not normal for the Christian. He says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Or put differently, what you have here is Paul saying, look, when you see the sin and are angered by it, which we should be, we need to immediately go to the one who can deal with the sin. And that is Christ. Otherwise, we will fall into sin ourselves. No matter how justified our anger is, we need to let the anger go. We need to not keep justifying it, nursing it in our life, because no matter how righteous our anger is, because we are sinners, it will turn into sin. That is what Paul is saying here you are not strong enough to hold on to your anger or you are not strong enough to hold in your anger for, for a prolonged period. You're not. We like to think we are, but you're not. Now you might ask, well, wait a minute. It says, it says don't let the sun go down on your anger. Does that mean, doesn't that mean I can be at least angry for 12 hours of daylight? Can I at least get at them for 12 hours? Like, isn't that the time limit? No, no. For the word anger in in this small passage here, do not let the sun go down on your anger, in the last part of, of the verse, gives kind of like the main context or meaning of what Paul's getting at. It means nursing your anger, dwelling on what caused you to be angry, letting it fester within you, feeding it more and more by the situations of what is, what is, what couldn't, what couldn't, what happened, what happened, what... Paul is saying directly here, if you do not rid yourself of anger quickly, you will start to let this just anger become your identity in place of Christ. And you will act unrighteously in anger instead of acting gracefully like Christ. See, your anger can become an idol in our life very quickly. Like if you get into an argument when you know you're right whether that's with your spouse or anyone or your boss or your neighbor or maybe the person at the grocery store who charged you wrong. Soon your whole identity becomes being built around your rightness. And your anger engulfs everything about you and you let your anger drive a wedge between those around you because you want all to see, especially that person, to see that you are right. And life becomes all about you, about how great or how smart or how much better you are in them in this See, you stop investing in people when you nurse your anger or let it fester. You stop looking out for their betterment and you start looking for your betterment. You stop trying to find ways of helping each other and you start only thinking about helping yourself at their expense. You stop letting the gospel affect your life, which is always about the other. And rather, life becomes about defeating the other to make yourself greater than the other rather than helping the other to know the grace of Christ in their life. You want them to know all about you in his place. Anger will make us disconnect with people and even disconnect from those closest to us. And sadly, the closest to us a lot of the times, are the one who caused the anger. And regretfully, if we don't deal with our anger right away, the relationships or relationship becomes broken, all because we can't let go of the anger. And we want, because we want to keep it and help it grow, rather than helping them, them grow in Christ. So we become isolated and alone, whether that's physically, or emotionally, or mentally, and we exhaust ourselves, and we begin to exhaust the people around us. Now, what must be pointed out here is that Paul is saying we must deal with our anger right away, right? But follow me here. Because anger could even happen in regards to politics, too, of people being angry about what's going on. Okay, it doesn't necessarily have to be only at a person, right? We do have the context is people, but we can be angry at situations. But follow me here. This is very much different, do not let the sun go down on your anger, very much different from dealing with the situation causing it right away. Sometimes, actually a lot of times, our situations or the person we are involved with can't be changed or dealt with right away. They may may not want to change, which is probably most of the time, which causes us to be angry. (laughs) And we think we have to deal with the situation or the person right away. And the most part, that's impossible. Sometimes they won't even listen to you. And you can't control your outside circumstances. But that's not what Paul's telling us what to do. He's not telling us to deal with the situation or the person. His concern is with our attitudes. You. What we do with our anger. For, because it can and will turn into sin if we don't deal with it by faith in Christ. I mean, even with dealing with your children or grandchildren. And the sin that it will turn into if we don't deal with the sin, right? We're not worried about the situation. He says, you, worry about you. The sin that it will turn into and will push people away if we start focusing on them instead, instead of focusing with the sin of us and going to Jesus, is that it either will evolve into pride, self-righteousness, or vengefulness in our life. And although we can't necessarily change the situation or the person right away, we can always go to God at any time to deal with our anger through prayer. God is with us. His Holy Spirit is with us now to guide us and protect us, to remind us that in Christ we have everything we need. He is our identity, not the other person's thoughts of us. He is our security, not with what's going on in the world or our current situation. Security is not in that. It's in Christ. He is our comfort, not the other person's emotional response to us. He is our rescue. We can't rescue ourselves or maybe the situation because we're probably the ones causing it. In Christ, we are children of God and completely forgiven now and loved, not by anything we have done, but what, what has been done. We can always go back to the gospel message of God's grace and think upon how much He loves us, even when we were His enemies. That He gave His Son for us. Think about how He has forgiven us time and time again when we have failed Him, sinned against Him, doubted Him, and disrespected Him and His ways. And yet He is still gracious to us. He is still working all things for our good in Him. Still giving us an inheritance that goes beyond comprehension. Still giving us eternal life to never face His eternal wrath. To never have this to never worry about a conscience torment in hell for eternity for our sins. We are free from that. Amen. We are free to be loved by Him eternally now, by faith, forever. That's your end. I mean, when you think of how He gives grace upon grace, and, and we realize that He is everything we need, and that He will take care of everything with you, Even if you don't know how, He will. Even if you don't see it, He is. Even if you don't feel it, you know it's true. How He will right all the wrongs. He will bring the justice. He will deal with all the evil and sin. And how He has given us victory over sin and death now. When we look to his grace we consequently are able to be angry and not sin by letting the anger go as quickly as it came by looking to him by faith for we know that for we know that this world is his the past the present the future All of it is His. Everything in this world belongs to Him. And all of it, somehow, in some way, all of it is going according to His sovereign will. There is no oops. Be angry when you see sin in the world that's going against the will of God, which includes yourself. But don't make sin all about yourself. So don't sin and make it all about you. Because again, sin makes everything about you. And you miss the mark of what you're called to do. Your life is to glorify God and not you. And when we're angry, we want to glorify ourselves or the moment or whatever it may be. So when you take the you out, when you take the personal out with whatever anger is going on, when you take it out of the picture, you, and you place Christ at the center and give him the spotlight rather than yourself, the anger can and will be dealt with in a biblical manner. For you will see just another sinner like yourself in need of grace. And you will consequently speak of God's forgiveness and love and grace to them and to yourself. Rather than having the anger be in control of you, God's gracious character will shine through you. For you will be looking to him to strengthen you, to empower you, and you'll be resting in his amazing grace to deal with you and your situation and the other. Now, Paul says one more thing that is very interesting here in connection with anger that can be easily overlooked, but truly it shows how important and how vital and how significant that we deal with our anger quickly. How significant it is. He says in verse 27, and give no opportunity to the devil. And this brings us to our last point. Your anger will be used for evil if kept. Now this is kind of mind-blowing. Or at least for me it is. My mind's not that big. Paul straight up says, When you harbor anger, no matter how righteous it is, or how just you think it is to keep it and hold it for whatever reason. I don't care what it is, Paul's saying. When you hold on to it and let it cling to you, you end up helping Satan do his work. You end up letting him exploit your anger to achieve his evil purpose in this world. Notice, it it does not say that Satan is the one who put the anger within you. That's all you. And it may be right. So again, the anger in this context is not necessarily an unrighteous anger, right? In the beginning to have. But if not dealt with speedily in your relationships, in your marriages, in whatever context, it gives ample opportunity for Satan's ways, and it will give, and it will happen, for Satan's ways to cause strife and havoc amongst the relationships in our life, especially amongst believers, I mean, think of it this way. Sometimes we can be so focused on proving ourselves right that we become so inwardly focused and judgmental of each other and others in our anger, we end up forgetting that this world needs saving. There are souls going straight to hell. They need to hear the freedom from sin, not just hear about their sin. Anger makes us good at isolation, but not good at reaching out with the hand of grace. Anger can make us forget that there are brothers and sisters who need encouragement and our help by serving them. Serving them in the church, serving them out when they're in the, out in the world, serving them here and now. There are people who are suffering in the church that need to be blessed by our prayers and our love over them. Anger will make us blind to them. Because the focus is on you and no one else. That also applies if you're angry about stuff going on in the world. You're just going to come and only think about yourself. They need to hear this. No, you need to hear it. See, if we're consumed with anger, for example, at someone in our church... We will end up causing division and disunity and break apart the fellowship and support of each other because people are too busy focusing on their anger rather than the needs of others around them. And church becomes a very cold place. Your home may become a very cold place. Anger in the Christian life or living with anger should be seen and used as an ample opportunity to give grace to each other as grace has been given to us by God. Because when we don't, Satan will, he will use it to divide you and divide us from each other and those from whom we love. So he can accomplish his evils in our life and in theirs. That's what Paul is saying here. I don't know how it works, but that's it. So in a nutshell, Paul is getting, and Paul will get more into this as we go into chapter 6 at some point. But he is basically making a point that spiritual warfare is going on around us and prolonged anger in your life is the opportunity that Satan will use to work his ways in your life and the life of others around you. I don't know how much people have tried to justify a righteous anger and cause more destruction in my counseling sessions that I talk with people because they just won't let it go even though they're right. Or in the greater context of this passage, if anger is not dealt with quickly from the old man, the old ways, if you let the old man be part of your life again by holding on to anger, Satan with his minions will exploit it and influence us to, make, to let his evil kingdom make its way into your life and to those lives around you. See, we need to run to Jesus quickly when anger arises in us so we don't fall into sin and let Satan's ways, the old man, wreak havoc in our homes, in our church, or in our life. Yet we know we fail at this. (laughs) And they were failing at this, the Ephesians. But praise be to God that our blessings in our life are not based in what we do, but in whom we believe. And as we look to Jesus, our Savior, He will bring us out of our anger that leads to sin or maybe our sinful anger that we have right now that has turned into sin. He will bring forgiveness to our life. He will bring grace to our life and to those around us as we go to Him. He will enable us to be a people of grace as we look to Him. Even if we stumble in our anger, He will melt our hearts to say we're sorry, to say I forgive you, To say, I love you anyways, and that will never end because of the love given to me for my God is unending. For by faith in Christ, I am free from the power of sin in my life. For he is my everything, and I look to him to supply everything I need in this world. And by his power, I can love you and serve you, even if you have angered me. That's a promise that we have from our Lord when we go to him simply by faith. So now we're going to come to the Lord's table. I'm going to call the deacons. Please come, come forward.